CD4 He looked at the door knocker. It was black and horrible, but that didn't matter because it was so tied up that it couldn't be used. Beside it, with all the signs of being installed recently by someone who didn't know what they were doing and didn't want to do it, was a button set into the splintered woodwork. Rincewind gave it an experimental prod. The sound it produced might once have been a popular tune, possibly even one written by a skilled composer to whom had been vouchsafed for a brief, ecstatic moment the music of the spheres. Now, however, it just went bing-bong, ding-dong and it would be a lazy use of language to say that the thing that answered the door was a nightmare. Nightmares are usually rather daft things, and it's very hard to explain to a listener what was so dreadful about your socks coming alive, or giant carrots jumping out of the hedgerows. This thing was the kind of terrifying thing that could only be created by someone sitting down and thinking horrible thoughts very clearly. It had more tentacles than legs, but fewer arms than heads. It also had a badge, the badge said, My name is Urgle Flogger, spawn of the pit and loathly guardian of the dread portal. How may I help you? It was not very happy about this. Yes, it rasped. Rincewind was still reading the badge. How may you help us? he said, aghast. Urgle Flogger, who bore a certain resemblance to the late Quesova Coatl, ground some of its teeth. "'Hi there,' it intoned, in the manner of one who has had the script patiently explained to him by someone with a red-hot branding iron. "'My name is Urgle Flogger, spawn of the pit, and I am your host for today. May I be the first to welcome you to our luxuriously appointed—' "'Hang on a moment,' said Rincewind. "'Chosen for your convenience,' Urgle Flogger rumbled. "'There's something not quite right here,' said Rincewind. "'Full regard for the wishes of you, the consumer,' the demon continued stoically. "'Excuse me,' said Rincewind. "'As pleasurable as possible,' said Urgle Flogger. "'It made a noise like a sigh of relief from somewhere deep in its mandibles. "'Now it appeared to be listening for the first time. "'Yes, what?' it said. "'Where are we?' said Rincewind. "'Various mouths beamed.' Quail, mortals. What? We're in a bird? Grovel and cower, mortals, the demon corrected itself, for you are condemned to ever last... It paused and gave a little whimper. There will be a period of corrective therapy, it corrected itself again, spitting out each word, which we hope to make as instructive and enjoyable as possible, with due regard to all the rights of you, the customer. It eyed Rincewind with several eyes. Dreadful, isn't it? it said in a more normal voice. Don't blame me. If it was up to me, it would be the old burning thing is up the watsit too sweet. "'This is hell, isn't it?' said Eric. "'I've seen pictures.' "'You're right there,' said the demon mournfully. "'It sat down, or at least folded itself in some complicated way. "'Personal service, that's what it used to be. "'People used to feel that we were taking an interest, "'that they weren't just numbers, but well, victims. "'We had a tradition of service. "'Fat lot he cares. "'But what am I telling you my troubles for?' It's not as if you haven't got plenty of your own, what with being dead and being here. You're not musicians, are you? Actually, we're not even... D Rincewind began. The demon ignored him, but got up and began to plod ponderously down the dank corridor, beckoning them to follow. You'd really hate it here if you was musicians. Hate it more, I mean. The walls play music all day long. Well, he calls it music. I've got nothing against a good tune, mark you. Something to scream along with, but this isn't it. I mean, I heard where we're supposed to have all the best tunes. So why have we got all this stuff that sounds like someone turned on the piano and then walked away and left it? In point of fact, and then there's the potted plants. Don't get me wrong, I like to see a bit of green around the place. Only some of the lads says these plants aren't real, but what I say is they must be. No one in their right mind would make a plant that looks like a dark green leather and smells like a dead sloth. 
He says it gives the place a friendly and open aspect. Friendly and open aspect? I've seen keen gardeners break down and cry. I'm telling you, they said it made everything we did to them afterwards seem like an improvement. Dead is not what we, said Rincewind, trying to hammer the words into a gap in the thing's endless monotone. But he was too late. The coffee machine now. The coffee machine's a good one, I'll grant you. We only used to drown people in lakes of cat's pee. We didn't make them buy it by the cup. We're not dead, Eric shouted. Urglflogger came to a quivering halt. Of course you're dead, it said. Else you wouldn't be here. Can't imagine live people coming here. They wouldn't last five minutes. It opened several of its mouths, showing a choice of fangs. <laughs> it added. If I was to catch any live people down here... Not for nothing had Rincewind survived for years in the paranoid complexities of unseen university. He felt almost at home. His reflexes operated with incredible precision. You mean you weren't told? he said. It was hard to see if Urgle Flogger's expression changed, if only because it was hard to know what part of it was expression, but it definitely projected a familiar air of sudden and resentful uncertainty. Told what? it said. Rincewind looked at Eric. You think they'd tell people, wouldn't you? Tell them what? Ow! ow said Eric, clutching his ankle. That's modern management for you, said Rincewind, his face radiating angry concern. They go ahead and make all these changes, all these new arrangements, and do they consult the very people who formed the backbone? Exoskeleton, corrected the demon, or other calcareous or chitinous structure of the organisation, Rincewind finished smoothly. He waited expectantly for what he knew would have to come. Not them, said Urglflogger. Too busy sticking up notices they are. I think that's pretty disgusting, said Rincewind. Do you know, said Urglflogger, they wouldn't let me on the club 18000 to $30,000 a day. Said I was too old. Said I would spoil the fun. What's the netherworld coming to, said Rincewind sympathetically. They never come down here, you know, said the demon, sagging a bit. They never tell me anything. Oh, yes, very important. Only keeping a bloody gate. Most important, I don't think. Look, said Rincewind, you wouldn't like me to have a word, would you? Down here all hours, seeing them in. Perhaps if we spoke to someone, said Rincewind. The demon sniffed from several noses at once. Would you? it said. Be happy to, said Rincewind. Urglflogger brightened a little, but not too much, just in case. Can't do any harm, can it? it said. Rincewind steeled himself and patted the thing on what he fervently hoped was its back. Don't you worry about it, he said. That's very kind of you. Rincewind looked across the shuddering heap at Eric. We'd better go, he said. So we're not late for our appointment, he made frantic signals over the demon's head. Eric grinned. Yeah, right, appointment, he said. They walked up the wide passage. Eric started to giggle hysterically. This is where we run, right? This is where we walk, said Rincewind. Just walk. The important thing is to act nonchalant. The important thing is to get the timing right. He looked at Eric. Eric looked at him. Behind them, Urglflogger made a kind of I've just worked it out noise. About now, said Eric. About now I think we'd do it, yes. They ran. Hell wasn't what Rincewind had been led to expect, although there were signs of what it might once have been. A few clinkers in a corner, a bad scorch mark on the ceiling. It was hot, though, with the kind of heat that you get by boiling air inside an oven for years. Hell, it has been suggested, is other people. This has always come as a bit of a surprise to many working demons, who had always thought that hell was sticking sharp things into people and pushing them into lakes of blood and so on. This is because demons, like most people, have failed to distinguish between the body and the soul. 
The fact was that, as droves of demon kings had noticed, there was a limit to what you could do to a soul with, e.g., red-hot tweezers, because even fairly evil and corrupt souls were bright enough to realise that since they didn't have the concomitant body and nerve endings attached to them, there was no real reason, other than force of habit, why they should suffer excruciating agony. So they didn't. Demons went on doing it anyway because numb and mindless stupidity is part of what being a demon is all about. But since no one was suffering, they didn't enjoy it much either, and the whole thing was pointless. Centuries and centuries of pointlessness. Astfigal had adopted, without realising what he was doing, a radically new approach. Demons can move interdimensionally, and so he'd found the basic ingredients for a very worthwhile lake of blood equivalent, as it were, for the soul. Learn from humans, he'd told the demon lords. Learn from humans. It's amazing what you can learn from humans. You take, for example, a certain type of hotel. It is probably an English version of an American hotel, but operated with that peculiarly English genius for taking something American and subtracting from it its one worthwhile aspect, so that you end up with slow, fast food, West country and Western music, and, well, this hotel. It's early closing day. The bar is really just a pastel pink panelled table with a silly ice bucket on it, set in one corner, and it won't be open for hours yet. And then you add rain, and let the one channel available on the only TV be perhaps Welsh Channel 4, showing its usual Mobius Eisteddfod from Pant y Gyrdl. And there is only one book in this hotel left behind by a previous victim. It is one of those where the name of the author is on the front in raised gold letters much bigger than the title, and it probably has a rose and a bullet on there too. Half the pages are missing. And the only cinema in the town is showing something with subtitles and French umbrellas in it. And then you stop time, but not experience, so that it seems as though the very fluff in the carpet is gradually rising up to fill the brain and your mouth starts to taste like an old denture, and you make it last forever and ever. That's even longer than from now until opening time. And then you distill it. Of course, the Discworld lacks a number of the items listed above, but boredom is universal, and Astrophagal had achieved in hell a particularly high brand of boredom, which is like the boredom you get which A. is costing you money, and B. is taking place while you should be having a nice time. The caverns that opened before Rincewind were full of mist and tasteful room dividers. Now and again screams of ennui rose from between the pot plants, but mainly there was the terrible numbing silence of the human brain being reduced to cream cheese from the inside out. "'I don't understand,' said Eric. "'Where are the furnaces? Where are the flames? Where,' he added hopefully, "'are the succubi?' Rincewind peered at the nearest exhibit. A disconsolate demon, whose badge proclaimed it to be Azarimoth, the stench of dog-breath, and moreover hoped that the reader would have a nice day, was sitting on the edge of a shallow pit wherein lay a rock, on which a man was chained and spread-eagled. A very tired-looking bird was perched beside him. Rincewind thought that Eric's parrot had it bad, but this bird had definitely been through the mangle of life. It looked as though it had been plucked first, and then had its feathers stuck back on. Curiosity overcame Rincewind's usual cowardice. "'What's going on?' he said. "'What's happening to him?' The demon stopped kicking his heels on the edge of the pit. It didn't occur to it to question Rincewind's presence. It assumed that he wouldn't be here unless he had a right to be. The alternative was unbelievable. "'I don't know what he'd done,' it said, but when I first came here, his punishment was to be chained to that rock, and every day an eagle would come down and peck his liver out. Bit of an old favourite, that one. It doesn't look as though it's attacking him now, said Rincewind. Nah, it's all changed. 
Now it flies down every day and tells me about its hernia operation. Now it's effective, I'll grant you, said the demon sadly, but it's not what I'd call torture. Ridswind turned away, but not before catching a glimpse of the look of terminal agony on the victim's face. It was terrible. There was worse, however. In the next pit, several chained and groaning people were being shown a series of paintings. A demon in front of them was reading from a script. This is when we were in the fifth circle. Only you can't see where we stayed. It was just off to the left there. And this is that funny couple we met. You'd never believe it. They lived on the icy plains of doom, just next door to... Eric looked at Rincewind. It's showing them pictures of itself on holiday, he said. They both shrugged and walked away, shaking their heads. Then there was a small hill. At the bottom of the hill there was a round rock. Beside the rock sat a manacled man, his despairing head buried in his hands. A squat green demon stood beside him, almost buckling under the weight of an enormous book. I've heard of this one, said Eric. Man who went and defied the gods or something, got to keep pushing that rock up the hill, even though it rolls back all the time. The demon looked up. But first, it trilled, he must listen to the unhealthy and unsafety regulations governing the lifting and moving of large objects. Volume 93 of the Commentaries, in fact. The regulations themselves comprised a further 1,440 volumes. Part one, that is. Rincewind had always liked boredom, treasuring it if only because of its rarity value. It had always seemed to him that the only times in his life when he wasn't being chased, imprisoned or hit were when he was being dropped from things, and while falling a long way always had a certain sameness about it, he did not really count as boring. The only time he could look back on with a certain amount of fondness was his brief spell as assistant librarian at Unseen University, when there wasn't much to do except read books, make sure the librarian's banana supply wasn't interrupted, and rarely help him with a particularly recalcitrant grimoire. Now he realised what made boredom so attractive. It was the knowledge that worse things, dangerously exciting things, were going on just around the corner, and that you were well out of them. For boredom to be enjoyable, there had to be something to compare it with, whereas this was just boredom on top of more boredom, winding in on itself until it became a great crushing sledgehammer which paralysed all thought and experience and pounded eternity into something like flannel. This is dreadful, he said. The chained man raised a haggard face. You're telling me, he said. I used to like pushing the ball up the hill. You could stop for a chat, you could see what was going on, you could try various holes and everything. I was a bit of a tourist attraction. People used to point me out. I wouldn't say it was fun, but it gave you a purpose in the afterlife. And I used to help him, said the demon, its voice raw with sullen indignation. Give you a bit of a hand sometimes, didn't I? Pass on a bit of gossip and that... Sort of encourage him when it rolled back on that. I'd say things like, whoops, there goes the bleeder again. And he'd say, bugger it. We had some times, didn't we? Great times. It blew its nose. Rincewind coughed. It's getting too much, said the demon. We used to be happy in the old days. It wasn't as if it used to hurt anyone much. And, well, we was all in it together. That's it, said the chained man. You knew if you kept your nose clean, you'd stand a chance of getting out one day. You know, once a week now I have to stop this for craft lessons. That must be nice, said Rincewind uncertainly. The man's eyes narrowed. Basket work, he said. I've been here eighteen millennia, demon and imp, grumbled the demon. I learned my trade, I did. Eighteen thousand bloody years behind the pitchfork, and now this? Reading a... A sonic boom echoed the length of hell. Oi, oi, said the demon. He's back. He sounds angry, too. We'd better get our heads down. And indeed, all over the circles of Hades, demons and damned were groaning in unison and getting back to their private hells. The chained man broke into a sweat. 
Look, Vizimuth, he said, couldn't we just sort of miss out one or two paragraphs? It's my job, said the demon wretchedly. You know he checks up. It's more than my job's worth. He broke off, gave Rincewind a sad grimace, and patted the sobbing figure with a gentle talon. Tell you what, he said kindly, I'll skip some of the sub-clauses. Rincewind took Eric by an unresisting shoulder. We'd better get along, he said quietly. This is really horrible, said Eric as they walked away. It gives Evil a bad name. Um, said Rincewind. He didn't like the sound of him being back and him being angry. Whenever something important enough to deserve capital letters was angry in the vicinity of Rincewind, it was usually angry with him. If you know such a lot about this place, he said, perhaps you can remember how to get out. Eric scratched his head. It helps if one of you is a girl, he said. According to Ephebian mythology, there's a girl who comes down here every winter. To keep warm? I think the story says she actually creates the winter, sort of. I've known women like that, said Rincewind, nodding wisely. Or it helps if you've got a liar, I think. Ah, we could be on firmer ground here, said Rincewind. He thought for a bit and then said, Um, my dog, my dog has six legs. The kind you play, said Eric patiently. Oh. And, and, and when you do leave, if you look back, I think pomegranates come into it somewhere or, 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 or you turn into a piece of wood. I never look back, said Rincewind firmly. One of the first rules of running away is never look back. There was a roar behind them. Especially when you hear loud noises, Rincewind went on. When it comes to cowardice, that's what sorts out the men from the sheep. You run straight away. He grabbed the skirts of his robe. And they ran and ran until a familiar voice said, Oh, hold there, dear lads. Hop up. It's amazing how you meet old friends down here. And another voice said, What's name? What's name? Where are they? The sublords of hell trembled. This was going to be dreadful. It might even result in a memo. They can't have escaped, rasped Astfagal. They're here somewhere. Why can you not find them? Am I surrounded by incompetence as well as fools? My lord. The demon princes turned. The speaker was Duke Vassanego one of the oldest demons. How old? No one knew. But if he didn't actually invent original sin, at least he made one of the first copies. In terms of sheer enterprise and deviousness of mind, he might even have passed for human, and in fact generally took the form of an old, rather sad lawyer with an eagle somewhere in his ancestry. And every demonic mind thought, poor old Vasnego, he's done it this time, this won't be just a memo, this will be a policy statement, cc'd to all departments and a copy for files. Astfagal turned slowly, as though mounted on a turntable. He was back in his preferred form now, but had pulled himself together, as it were, on a higher level of emotion. The mere thought of living humans in his domain made him twang with fury like a violin string. You couldn't trust them, they were unreliable. The last human allowed down here alive had given the place a terribly bad press. Above all, they made him feel inferior. Now the full wattage of his anger focused on the old demon. You had a point to make, he said. I was merely going to say, Lord, that we have made an extensive search of all eight circles, and I am really certain... Silence! Don't think I don't know what's going on, growled Astfagal, circling the drawn figure. I've seen you, and you, and you, his trident pointed at some of the other old lords, plotting in corners, encouraging rebellion. I rule here, is that not so? And I will be obeyed. Vasnego was pale. His patrician nostrils flared like jet intakes. Everything about him said, You pompous little creature, of course we encourage rebellion, we're demons. 
and I was maddening the minds of princes when you were encouraging cats to leave dead mice under the bed, you small-minded, paper-worshipping nincompoop. Everything about him said this, except for his voice, which said calmly, "'No one is denying this, sire.' "'Then search again, and the demon who let them in is to be taken to the lowest pit and disassembled. Is that clear?' Vasnego's eyebrows rose. "'Old Urgle, flogger, sire. He was foolish, certainly, but he is a loyal... "'Are you by any chance endeavouring to contradict me?' Vasnego hesitated. Dreadful as he privately held the king to be, demons are strong believers in precedence and hierarchy. There were too many young demons pressing below them for the senior lords to openly demonstrate the ways of regicide and coup, no matter what the provocation. Vasnego had plans of his own, no sense in spoiling things now. No, sire, he said, but that will mean, sire, that the dread portal is no longer... Do it! The luggage arrived at the dread portal. There was no way to describe how angry you can get running nearly twice the length of the space-time continuum, and the luggage had been pretty annoyed to start with. It looked at the hinges. It looked at the locks. It backed away a bit and appeared to read the new sign over the portal. Possibly this made it angrier, although with the luggage there wasn't any reliable way of telling because it spent all its time beyond, in a manner of speaking, the hostility event horizon. The doors of hell were ancient. It wasn't just time and heat that had baked their wood to something like black granite. They'd picked up fear and dull evil. They were more than mere things to fill a hole in the wall. They were bright enough to be dimly aware of what their future was likely to hold. They watched the luggage shuffle back across the sand, flex its legs and crouch down. The lock clicked. The bolts dragged themselves back hurriedly. The great bars jerked from their sockets. The doors flung themselves back against the wall. The luggage untensed. It straightened. It stepped forward. It almost strutted. It passed between the straining hinges and, when it was nearly through, turned and gave the nearest door a damn good kick. There was a great treadmill. It didn't power anything and had particularly creaky bearings. It was one of Astvigal's more inspired ideas, and had no use whatsoever except to show several hundred people that if they had thought their lives had been pretty pointless, they hadn't seen anything yet. "'We can't stay here forever,' said Rincewind. "'We need to do things, like eat.' "'That's one of the tremendous advantages of being a damned soul,' said Ponce de Quirm. "'All the old bodily cares fade away.' Of course, you get a completely new set of cares, but I have always found it advisable to look for the silver lining. What's name? said the parrot, who was sitting on his shoulder. Fancy that, said Rincewind. I never knew animals could go to hell, although I can quite see why they made an exception in this case. Up yours, wizard! Why don't they look for us here? That's what I don't understand, said Eric. Shut up and keep walking, said Rincewind. They're stupid, that's why. They can't imagine that we would be doing something like this. "'Yes, they're right there. I can't imagine that we are doing something like this either,' said Eric. Rincewind treadled for a bit, watching a crowd of frantically searching demons hurry past. "'So you didn't find the Fountain of Youth, then?' he said, feeling that he should make some conversation. "'Oh, no, but I did,' said de Quirm earnestly. "'A clear spring, deep in the jungle. It was very impressive. I had a good long drink, too. Or draught, which I think is the more appropriate word.' "'And?' said Rincewind. "'It definitely worked, yes. "'For a while there I could definitely feel myself getting younger.' "'But!' Rincewind waved a vague hand to take in Daquirm, the treadmill, the towering circles of the pit. "'Ah!' said the old man. "'Of course, that's the really annoying bit. "'I'd read so much about the fountain, "'and you'd have thought someone in all those books "'would have mentioned a really vital thing about the water, wouldn't you?' "'Which was?' "'Boil it first. "'Says it all, doesn't it? "'Terrible shame, really.' "'The luggage trotted down the great spiral road "'that linked the circles of the pit. "'Even if conditions had been normal, "'it probably would not have attracted much attention. "'If anything, it was rather less astonishing "'than most of the denizens. "'This is really boring,' said Eric. "'That's the point,' said Rincewind. 
We shouldn't be lurking here. We should be trying to find a way out. Well, yes, but there isn't one. There is, in fact, said a voice behind Rincewind. It was the voice of someone who had seen it all and hadn't liked any of it very much. Laviolus, said Rincewind. His ancestor was right behind him. You'll get home all right, said Laviolus bitterly. Your very words. <laughs> Ten years of one damn thing after another. You might have told a chap. Ed, said Eric, we didn't want to upset the course of history. You didn't want to upset the course of history, said Laviolus slowly. He stared down at the woodwork of the treadmill. Oh, good. That makes it all all right. I feel a lot better for knowing that. Speaking as the course of history, I'd like to say thank you very much. Uh, excuse me, said Rincewind. Yes. You said there's another way out. Oh, yes, a back way. Where is it? Laviolus stopped treadling for a moment and pointed across the misty hollow. See that arch over there? Rincewind peered into the distance. Just about, he said. Is that it? Yes, a long, steep climb. Don't know where it comes out, though. How did you find out about it? Laviolus shrugged. Ask a demon, he said. There's always an easier way of doing everything, you know. It'd take forever to get there, said Eric. It's right on the other side. We'd never make it. Rincewind nodded and glumly continued the endless walk. After a few minutes, he said, Has it struck you we seem to be going faster? Eric turned around. The luggage had stepped aboard and was trying to catch up with them. Astfigal stood in front of his mirror. Show me what they can see, he commanded. Yes, master. Astfigal inspected the whirring image for a moment. Tell me what this means, he said. I'm just a mirror, master. What do I know? Astfigal growled. And I'm the Lord of Hades, he said, gesturing with his trident, and I'm prepared to risk another seven years' bad luck. The mirror considered the available options. I might be able to hear some creaking, Lord, it ventured. And I smell smoke. No smoke. I specifically banned all open fires, a very old-fashioned concept. It gave the place a bad name. Nevertheless, master... "'Show me Hades.' "'The mirror gave of its best. "'The king was just in time to see the treadwheel, "'its bearings glowing red-hot, "'crash down from its mountings and roll "'as deceptively slowly as an avalanche "'across the country of the damned. "'Rincewind hung from the pushbar, "'watching the rungs whir past at a speed "'that would have burned the soles of his sandals "'if he'd been foolish enough to let his feet down.' The dead, however, were taking it all with the cheerful aplomb of those who know that the worst has already happened to them. Cries of, "'Pass the candy floss!' drifted down. He heard Laviolus commending the wheel's splendid traction and explaining to Daquirm how, if you have a vehicle which put down its road in front of it, just like the luggage was in fact doing, and then you covered it with armour, then wars would be less bloody, over in half the time, and everyone could spend even longer going home.' The luggage made no comment at all. It could see its master hanging a few feet away, and just kept going. It may have occurred to it that the journey was taking some time, but that was time's problem. And so, flinging out the occasional screaming soul, bumping and gyrating and crushing the occasional luckless demon, the wheel bowled on. It smashed against the opposite cliff. Lord Vassanago smiled. Now, he said, it is time. The other senior demons looked a bit shifty. They were, of course, steeped in evil, and Astfigal was definitely not one of us and the most revolting little oik ever to oil his way into the post. But, well, this, perhaps there were some things that were too... Learn from the ways of humans, mimicked Vasnego. He bade me learn from humans, me, the impudence, the arrogance. But I watched. Oh, yes, I learned. I planned. The look on his face was unspeakable. Even the lords of the nethermost circles who gloried in villainy had to turn their heads. 
Duke Drasometh the Putrid raised a hesitant talon. "'But if he even suspects,' he said, "'I mean, he has a foul temper on him. "'Those memos!' he shuddered. "'But what are we doing?' "'Vasnego spread his hands in a gesture of innocence. "'Where is the harm in it? "'Brothers, I ask you, where is the harm?' "'His fingers curled. "'The knuckles shone white under the thin, blue-veined skin "'as he surveyed the doubting faces.' "'Or would you rather receive another statement of policy?' he said. Expressions twitched as the lords made up their minds like a row of dominoes falling over. There were some things on which even they were united. No more policy statements, no more consultative documents, no more morale-boosting messages to all staff. This was hell, but you had to draw the line somewhere. Earl Beeselmoth rubbed one of his three noses. "'And humans somewhere thought this up all by themselves,' he said. "'We didn't give them any, you know, hints.' "'Vasnego shook his head. "'All their own work,' he said proudly, "'like a fond schoolmaster who has just seen a star pupil graduate summa cum laude.' "'The Earl stared into infinity. "'I thought we were supposed to be the ghastly ones,' he said, "'his voice filled with awe. "'The old lord nodded. "'He'd waited a long time for this.' While others had talked of red-hot revolution, he'd just stared out into the world of men and watched and marvelled. This Rincewind character had been extremely useful. He'd managed to keep the king totally occupied. He'd been worth all the effort. The damn fool human still thought it was his fingers doing the business. Three wishes indeed. And thus it was. When Rincewind pulled himself free of the wreckage of the wheel, he found Astfigal, King of Demons, Lord of Hell, Master of the Pit, standing over him. Astfigal had passed through the earlier stage of fury and was now in that calm lagoon of rage where the voice is steady, the manner is measured and polite, and only a faint trace of spittle at the corner of the mouth betrays the inner inferno. Eric crawled out from under a broken spar and looked up. Oh dear! he said. The demon king twirled the trident. Suddenly it didn't look comical any more. It looked like a heavy metal stick with three horrible spikes on the end. Astfigal smiled and looked around. No, he said, apparently to himself, not here. This is not public enough. Come. A hand grasped each of them by the shoulder. They could no more resist it than a couple of non-identical snowflakes could resist a flamethrower. There was a moment's disorientation, and Rincewind found himself in the largest room in the universe. It was the Great Hall. You could have built moon rockets in it. The kings of hell might have heard of words like subtlety and discretion, but they had also heard that if you had it, you should flaunt it, and reasoned that, if you didn't have it, you should flaunt it even more. And what they didn't have was good taste. Astfigal had done what he could— but even he had been unable to do much to the basic bad design, the clashing colours and the terrible wallpaper. He'd put in a few coffee tables and a bullfight poster, but they were more or less lost in the overall chaos, and the new antimacassar on the back of the Throne of Dread only served to highlight some of its more annoying bas-reliefs. The two humans sprawled on the floor. "'And now,' said Astfigal, but his voice was lost in a sudden cheering. He looked up. Demons of every size and shape filled almost all the hall, piling up the walls and even hanging from the ceiling. A demonic band struck up a choice of chords on a variety of instruments. A banner slung from one side of the hall to the other read, Hail to the Cheeve. Astfigal's brows knitted in instant paranoia as Vasnego, trailed by the other lords, bore down on him. The old demon's face was split in a totally guileless grin, and the king nearly panicked and hit it with the trident before Vasnego reached out and slapped him on the back. "'Well done!' he cried. "'What?' "'Oh, very well done!' Astfigal looked down at Rincewind. "'Oh!' he said. "'Yes, well!' he coughed. "'It was nothing!' he said, straightening up. I knew you people weren't getting anywhere, so I just... Not these, 
sneered Vasnego. Such trivial things. No, sire, I was referring to your elevation. Elevation, said Astfigal. Your promotion, sire. A great cheer went up from the younger demons, who would cheer anything. Promotion? But I am the king, Astfigal protested weakly. He could feel his grasp on events beginning to slip. Fui, said Vasnego expansively. Fui? Indeed, sire. King? King? Sire, I speak for all of us when I say, that is no title for a demon such as you, sire, a demon whose grasp of organizational matters and priorities, whose insight into the proper functions of our being, whose, if I may say so, sheer intellectual capabilities have taken us to new and greater depths, sire. Despite himself, Astfigal preened. Well, you know, he began, and yet we find, despite your position, that you interest yourself in the tiniest details of our work, said Vasnego, looking down his nose at Rincewind. Such dedication, such devotion. Astfigal swelled. Of course, I've always felt... Rincewind pulled himself up on his elbows and thought... "'Look out, behind you!' "'And so,' said Vasnego, beaming like a coast full of lighthouses, "'the council met and has decided, and may I add, sire, has decided unanimously, "'to create an entirely new award in honour of your outstanding achievements. "'The importance of proper paperwork has—' "'What award?' said Astfigal. "'the minnows of suspicion suddenly darting across the oceans of self-esteem. "'The position, sire, of supreme life president of hell.' "'The band struck up again. "'With your own office, much bigger than the pokey thing you have had to suffer all these years, sire, "'or rather, Mr. President.' "'The band had a go at another chord. "'The demons waited.' "'Will there be potted plants?' said Astfigal, slowly. "'Hosts, plantations, jungles.' Astfigal appeared to be lit by a gentle inner glow. "'And carpets? I mean, wall to wall? "'The walls have had to be moved apart especially to accommodate them all, sire. "'And thick piles, sire?' Whole tribes of pygmies are wondering why the light stays on at night, sire. The bewildered king allowed himself to have an expansive arm thrown across his shoulder, and was gently led, all thoughts of vengeance forgotten, through the cheering crowds. "'I've always fancied one of those special things for making coffee,' he murmured, as the last vestiges of self-control were eroded. "'A positive manufactory has been installed, sire.' "'and a speaking-tube, sire, for you to communicate your instructions to your underlings. "'And the very latest in diaries, two eons to a page, and a thing for coloured marker-pens. "'I've always held that complete rainbow, sire,' Vasnego boomed. "'And let us go there without delay, sire, for I suspect that with your normal keen insight—' "'You cannot wait to get to grips with the mighty tasks ahead of you, sire.' "'Certainly, certainly. Time they were done indeed.' "'An expression of vague perplexity passed across Astfigal's flushed face. "'These mighty tasks, nothing less than a complete, full, authoritative, "'searching and in-depth analysis of our role, function, priorities and goals, sire.' Vasnego stood back. The demon lords held their breath. Astfigal frowned. The universe appeared to slow down. The stars halted momentarily in their courses. "'With forward planning,' he said at last, "'a top priority, sire, which you have instantly pinpointed with your normal incisiveness,' said Vasnego quickly. The demon lords breathed again. Astfigal's chest expanded several inches. 
I shall need special staff, of course, in order to formulate... Formulate the very thing, said Vasnego, who was perhaps getting just a bit carried away. Astvigal gave him a faintly suspicious glance, but at that moment the band struck up again. The last words that Rincewind heard as the king was led out of the hall were, And in order to analyse information I shall need... And then he was gone. The rest of the demons, aware that the entertainment seemed to be over for the day, started to mill around and drift out of the great doors. It was beginning to dawn on the brightest of them that the fires would soon be roaring again. No one seemed to be taking any notice of the two humans. Rincewind tugged at Eric's robe. "'This is where we run, right?' said Eric. "'Where we walk,' said Rincewind firmly, "'nonchalantly, calmly, and, er, uh, fast. "'You pick things up quickly, don't you?' "'It is essential that the proper use of three wishes "'should bring happiness to the greatest available number of people, "'and this is what, in fact, had happened. "'The Tesimen were happy.' When no amount of worshipping caused the luggage to come back and trample their enemies, they poisoned all their priests and tried enlightened atheism instead, which still meant they could kill as many people as they liked, but didn't have to get up so early to do it. The people of Sort and Ephebe were happy, at least the ones who write and feature in the dramas of history were happy, which is all that mattered. Now their long war was over, and they could get on with the proper concern of civilised nations, which is to prepare for the next one. The people of hell were happy, or at least happier than hitherto. The flames were flickering brightly again, the same old familiar tortures were being inflicted on ethereal bodies quite incapable of feeling them, and the damned had been given that insight which makes hardship so easy to bear, the absolute and certain knowledge that things could be worse. The demon lords were happy. They stood around the magic mirror, enjoying a celebratory drink. Occasionally one of them would risk slapping Vasanego on the back. "'Shall we let them go, sir?' said a duke, peering at the climbing figures in the mirror's dark image. "'Oh, I think so,' said Vasnego airily. "'It's always a good thing to let a few tales spread, you know. "'Poor Encourage-le-um—poor "'to make everyone sit up and damn well take notice. "'And they have been useful, after their fashion.' He looked into the depths of his drink, exulting quietly. And yet, and yet, in the depths of his curly mind, he thought he could hear the tiny voice that would grow louder over the years, the voice that haunts all demon kings everywhere. Look out, behind you. It is hard to say whether the luggage was happy or not. It had viciously attacked fourteen demons so far and had three of them cornered in their own pit of boiling oil. Soon it would have to follow its master, but it didn't have to rush. One of the demons made a frantic grab for the bank. The luggage stamped heavily on its fingers. The creator of universes was happy. He'd just inserted one seven-sided snowflake into a blizzard as an experiment, and no one had noticed. Tomorrow he was half inclined to try small, delicately crystallised letters of the alphabet. Alphabet Snow. It could be a winner. Rincewind and Eric were happy. I can see blue sky, said Eric. Where do you think we'll come out? he added. And when? Anywhere, said Rincewind. Any time. He looked down at the broad steps they were climbing. They were something of a novelty. Each one was built out of large stone letters. The one he was just stepping onto, for example, read, I meant it for the best. The next one was, I thought you'd like it. Eric was standing on, for the sake of the children. Weird, isn't it, he said. Why do it like this? I think they're meant to be good intentions, said Rincewind. This was a road to hell, and demons were, after all, traditionalists. And while they are, of course, irredeemably evil, they are not always bad. And so Rincewind stepped off We Are Equal Opportunity Employers and through a wall which healed up behind him and into the world. It could, he had to admit, have been a lot worse. President Astvigal, sitting in a pool of light in his huge dark office, blew into the speaking tube again. Hello, he said. Hello? 
there didn't seem to be anyone answering. Strange. He picked up one of his coloured pens and looked around at the stack of work behind him. All those records to be analysed, considered, assessed and evaluated, and then suitable management directives to be arrived at, and an in-depth policy document to be drafted, and then, after due consideration, redrafted again. He tried the tube once more. Hello? Hello? No one there. Still, not to worry. Lots to do. His time was far too important to waste. He sank his feet into his thick, warm carpet. He looked proudly at his potted plants. He tapped a complicated assembly of chromed wire and balls, which began to swing and click executively. He unscrewed the top of his pen with a firm, decisive hand. He wrote, What business are we in? Question mark, question mark, question mark. He thought for a bit, and then carefully wrote underneath, We are in the damnation business! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. And this, too, was happiness. Of a sort. That is the end of Eric. It was written by Terry Pratchett and read by Stephen Briggs.